And now, for your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, PNR with This Old Marketing. Take it away, boys. Well, hello, content marketers. I'm Robert Rose, and welcome to episode number 37 of PNR's This Old Marketing, recorded on Monday, July 28, 2014. Well, folks, it's the hot dog days of summer. Your Facebook feed is filled with the posts of lakes, beaches, mountains, yummy plates of other people's vacations. You see posts on the way to fill water balloons in under a minute. And, of course, the latest quiz on what your old person's name would be. For the record, mine is Earl. Feeling bored, lost, need something to do while you're waiting for the latest bestseller to download to your Kindle? Well, come on over. Give us a review on iTunes, won't you? Because really, Joe and I are here to make your summer better. And if you're considering this and looking for a 45 to 50 minutes of content marketing news goodness for a few days early, well, we hope you'll also consider subscribing via iTunes or Stitcher. Then stop on by the blog post at thisoldmarketing.com where you'll find all the links to the news and everything we talk about here. So anyway, speaking of summer, and it's time and now, as always, to welcome my colleague and good, good friend coming from Cleveland, Ohio. Please welcome the Johnny Football of Content Marketing, Mr. Joe Polizzi. And so less than a week away, my friend. Oh, I know. Sunday, I can't Sunday, believe it. Sunday. You have to be getting so excited. This is, oh, this is your I, time of the year. Because you're not into any other sport. The, football is your sport. Football is my sport, my friend. And I can I mean, I've been, I mean, I'm like a daily stalker on the blogs on nfl.com i'm watching i'm seeing the gossip i'm seeing i mean i am just like i'm mr fanatic uh and cannot wait for sunday so do you have a prediction for your cowboys uh better than eight and eight that's what (laughs) you know what what i think if you if you put if you put money on eight and eight you'd probably get it how many years in a Uh, row has it been eight and eight three years in a row Three years in a row of average, average, average. Well, if my Cleveland Browns... And also three years in a row of coming down to the last game of the season of whether they're going to make the That's playoffs right. or not. So, If the Cleveland yeah. Browns finish 8-8, eight and eight, that'll be almost like winning the Super Bowl. <laughs> almost. <laughs> I'm telling you, they got a shot this it's, year. Uh, well, I'll tell you. I, well, I love uh, Hoyer as the quarterback. I, I, yeah. I would love oh, yeah, to see good. Manziel get yeah. some time, but, man, don't you, there's no need to rush it when you've got somebody that... He studied under Tom Brady for all those years, and he knows that offense. Let you know, yes. let him go, let him go. So. Yeah. Oh, he's going to be great. Oh, he's going to be great. But you're going to get to see a little bit of Johnny football in uh, in uh, preseason for sure. So that'll be fun. And at at bars and at <laughs> <laughs> right, of course, I'm yes. sure. Yeah, this is all the... kinds of stuff going. On. Hey, it's interesting <laughs> in Cleveland right now. So you can't, you know, between him and LeBron, which by the way they have the the same agent, LMRM huh? or whatever, LeBron's agency runs that whole thing so that you know it's it's i the great thing about i actually was right i'm writing an article for content marketing world uh for the blog right now and that was my starter it's like i don't have to answer the question why cleveland right now like i oh, used right. to because people are yeah, like exactly. oh hey cleveland that's a hot city i'm like yeah well that just happened so <laughs> <laughs> right exactly yep wow Anyway, should we, we uh, should get yes, should we, we should onward to yeah, the news. Yeah, that, people uh, complain we're, we're we're not getting to the news fast enough, so we better <laughs> we better do that. Shut up! It's our show. It's man. How we can do whatever we want. Well, that's the funny. So okay, so here I am. I'm in Philadelphia, and not to belabor this, but I'm in Philadelphia right now, and I'm sitting in my mother-in-law's basement. I could not be more Wayne's World if you ask me to be right now doing the show from my mom's basement, man. <laughs> that is Any- so re- It's so us. It's so retro. Yes. It's yeah, perfect. Exactly. It's so perfect. Let's play a little anyway, Wayne's move- world music to start this one. Wayne's world. P and R. Excellent. Excellent. <laughs> anyway, moving on to the news. Um, this one comes to us from Forbes. Uh, and it is speaking of music and rock and roll back. Uh, shows us a lesson in content marketing article by Will Burns here. And he talks, it's a really fun article because it talks about in much the same way we talked a little bit about Weird Al last week. Um, this article talks about he, the new album by Beck called Song Reader and how it's this really long story arc that he created. We talk a lot about storytelling and content marketing and how sort of the, the long arc of, you know, and having patience and all of that. And this is a really interesting case study for that because of course, Song Reader, for those of you who may not be familiar with Beck, uh, he basically released all of the songs for this about a year ago 
but he didn't release the music, of course. He released uh, sheet music and basically let everybody sort of do their thing with it. And there's all these videos and songs that have been uploaded to the Internet, sort of renderings of all of these songs from this album, Song Reader, um, that he put out. And then he did a really interesting thing is, is in the last few months, he's been playing these songs at a concert, but not only just playing themselves himself, he's actually inviting other artists to play those songs with him. And now he's actually released an album, which is all of these songs or some of these songs and actually uh, playing them himself. I thought this was just a really interesting way. If, if this was a concerted sort of, if he knew going into this, that this was the way he was going to plan this out. This is a, I think just brilliant way to tell this story well for those yeah for those people that don't know the story go into some of the detail right basically he released an album but just the just the sheet music for it correct that's right yeah a year ago so he really releases just the sheet music yeah right and it was basically and he said when he released the sheet music said please record your own interpret your own you know ways to do this song and all of these people did it and started uploading all of this stuff and he would share some of it and comment on some of it and some of it was just being shared and then when he started to you know play these songs in concert and now the album release it's like it's all leading up to this album release which of course now people are he's got a built-in audience already engaged in the release of this album because of course now they want to go hear all the music that they've either been playing or sharing or you know and all of that with all it's just i think it's a really interesting way to launch an album now the one thing that that the author will burns kind of goes into and says he sort of put out the sheet music and was just hoping and almost like, hey, I'll wait to see what happens. And you and I—I I don't think that's true. Well, yeah. yeah, you and I were talking about, it and I was saying, there's no way a brand could get away with saying, "Well, I'm just going to put out all this content and then see what happens." There's just—you just don't get that kind of a leash. Uh, I think you'd have to have at least of here's here's our hypothesis. Like you talk about managing content marketing. Here is the hypothesis. We're going to make the business case. You're saying, even though the article says he didn't do that, you're saying that he did have an idea of what could happen. I think at least that, I think at least, despite whatever narrative he may be saying now, by the way, I mean, I know he, in the article, he talks about interviewing Beck directly, um, despite whatever the narrative, the public narrative may be in terms of, oh, I just let it go organically and let this, you know, let, let what happened happen, man. I, I don't think that's true. I think he knew all the time he was going to actually record an album and put out this, put out this music. I think he... Whether he considered it a grand experiment or whether he actually had a very discreet, you know, some spectrum of planning went into this where he knew he was going to be recording this music as an album at some point. He just didn't know how it might, you know, which songs he might do or what, you know, and I think the experiment, if there was one, was in seeing how much and which songs resonated the most, maybe as a way to say, these are the songs I'm going to prioritize on the But they're album. like thousands. But I, I mean, like was, it's like th- in the thousands of people. It, it's a lot. Yeah, created their, like uploaded the songs to YouTube. And then did he, did you know if he done, did anything with them? He basically just looked at, from a popularity standpoint, which ones were being covered the most. Is that sort of? That's right. Yeah. That's right. And commented on some and shared some himself and and all that sort of thing. And then also, by the way, started to include other people that had done that. Right. So there were a a few like really famous artists who had actually done it as well. And he invited some of them to actually come and join him and play uh, their interpretations of the songs as well. People like Jack White um, and uh, Nora Jones and David Johansson and some and a bunch of others. And I think that's I just think it's a really interesting. I think he knew all along what he was going to be doing, and I think this was a very well put out plan. So, if you're, and I have no answer for this, I guess I'm just asking and I'm wondering if you're a brand out there, if you're a company, and you're going to create basically what Beck did is he's got these assets. So, let's say content assets, very interesting things to a certain group of people. How do you do that as a brand and just give up and say, look, I'm going to give this to the community and see what happens. Is there anything that's been done from a corporate standpoint that we could say, yeah, Red Bull did that or GE did that? Or, I mean, it, I mean, how could we use this? I mean, I love the idea, but the only that as I was reading the article, I'm like, you know, a regular brand can't do this. How do we? Of course they can. Well, yeah, that's what I want to do. I want to wrap my arms around that. They How, can. Get, can you get like, what's an example of that? Let me wrap my arms around you, Joe. Um, <laughs> <laughs> virtual hug. I love it. <laughs> 
So this is what we talk about all of the time when we when we go through the workshop and we talk about story mapping, which is it's not only building a project plan that says here is the business case and here is the thing we're going to do with our owned media over you know six months, a year, a year and a half. It's not just the tactical, this is when we're going to do stuff. It's the order in which we do stuff and the audiences we may be targeting. Now I can't I won't I won't here in this forum I won't actually tell the client name but one client we worked with directly did exactly this where their business they were actually protecting their business because it had been disrupted by the internet and they were a content business and what they did was they discovered that what was really happening was the disruption in their business what was really threatening them was all these independent consultants that were out there basically providing the same content they did, but doing so from a, they're trying to get consulting work. So in a weird, ironic sense, they were content marketing saying, hey, we know all this. This Here's our expertise. We'll just put it on our blog. And instead of that packaged way that you used to get it from company X, you'll now get it from us. And so they saw these sort of independent consultants as competitors. And so instead of going, trying to beat them at their own game, what they said was, you know what? Instead of us being the source of all of this content, we can actually be the arbiter, the brand, the, the basically the good housekeeping seal of approval for all this content. So they actually created this longer arc story where they initially went out to all of their quote-unquote competitors to pull them into a community, get them engaged, get them pulled in as subscribers to the idea that this was going to be the good housekeeping seal of approval and would actually help their business by having a brand. And they gamified it and they did all this wonderful thing, did some co-product development together, all this kind of stuff with their quote-unquote independent competitors and built a community and then used that to then go out to their end user audience and consumers and sort of repivoted the business using content. But the first part of that wasn't developing a content plan that was going to initially attract end users and sort of use it in a pull fashion, but rather going out to the what they was perceived as the competition and then going out. So that was the long game. It was playing the long game of actually putting content out there that would actually not appeal to their end consumers at all, but would actually appeal to these independent consultants to pull them in. So if you were, let's say you're a company and you did a, an amazing piece of research, instead of putting that behind a gated wall, you could give that to the community and let people cover that, manipulate it. Almost, I'm trying to think of what we do with our annual content marketing research. We don't do a lot of content around the research. We basically say, here community, here's what we've done. What's your take? And then we get that covered by you know hundreds of different sources and they say, here's what we think. It's sort of that's a little bit like it. Could you make that comparison? I think that's right. I think the the comparison, I mean it's hard to draw a direct corollary, right? Because we're not talking about selling music here and 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 putting out. But the I think uh, an interesting corollary might be a company whether it's CMI or not. It's it's a company saying, "Okay, look, here's this big thing we're thinking about, right? Maybe it's a study, maybe it's a research thing, maybe it's this conclusion we've come to. This is this giant thing we want to put out." in eight months. Okay. So they know the answer already, right? They know that we've got the research, we've got the story, it's all ready to go. So now the question is, how do I start getting other people? Maybe it's an influencer set of personas. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's an audience, other, you know, sort of, maybe it is the buyers themselves. How do we get them talking about this so that by the time we release this, they're like, oh my God, this is, I, I can't believe this now exists because I've been thinking about this. This is not dissimilar, right? And this is actually a case study that's on our website. This is not dissimilar, remember, from what we did with PTC and the way that, you know, they had to change the way that people thought about them before they released uh, uh, their product because they were actually part of the the problem of of the innovation in that market for so long. So they actually had to use that content and even knowing that they were going to be launching a new product, holding that back, holding back that content and the news of that idea until they could actually go build the idea and the validation within the market to actually that would, when they said, Hey, we have this new thing. People wouldn't go, Oh, it's an, you know, look at them with squinty eyes and say, this isn't right. They actually go, wow, this is, you've now built up the brand perception in our mind that you actually now have permission to launch a, a new product like this because you've made us believe. Well, I think the brilliant part about this, and it's similar when we talked about uh, Weird Al last week, partnering with the right people, influencers. And this is a perfect scenario for that. 
whether it's um, you know bringing those influencers back on stage, putting together something special. It's not all me. And I think when we talk to a lot of companies in their content marketing, they feel that it's got to be us, it's got to be our expertise, it's got to be our employees, when it's probably better from a distribution standpoint and a spreadability standpoint to get as many of those other people involved. So that, it, I mean, if you're trying to create a mission, if you're trying to, trying to create real purpose and have this thing spread, you can't just keep it between this is us. It's, well, that's such a great. It's got. I mean, that's go. that's exactly. Well, that's why. I mean, that isn't that one of the exactly reasons it. why Weird Al is playing. I mean, I can't find anyone that's not talking about the Weird Al songs. I know. I think it's frankly he because of the way he did it, and because of the way that he just said, oh, "Here's the new one." You know, eight eight days, eight videos, whatever the case. But the real brilliant part about that was the partnering with with uh, individual groups, depending on what the song was. That, letting their and letting their audiences share exactly it. that was brilliant. Yeah. I mean, and did you see by the way that to answer the question that came up last week, which is how did it do? Number one on Billboard. I know. This week. That's what I was asking you last week, and it is. It yeah. did hit number one. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, I bet you all the traditionalists are just all po'd about that. It's really <laughs> fascinating. It's just fascinating, fascinating. Well, speaking of marketers and getting people to spread and sort of talking about getting permission to do more interesting, longer take things. So Forrester came out with their content marketing report um, this last week, been covered in a number of uh, a number of different avenues, one of them being CMS Wire that has a interview with the uh, report author, Laura Ramos, who I know I've known for some years, um, very, very smart lady um, who has uh, co-authored or, or authored this report on content marketing and specifically B2B content marketing, which is where they really focused here. And, you know, the report itself goes into a lot of different things, but the headline that everybody's talking about, of course, is that, you know, 85% of uh, B2B marketers are not finding any, any, any efficacy in the, you know, and this is no different really than what we found in our research and what we found in our state of content marketing when we looked at the enterprise. But um, did you have a particular, do you, yeah, you know, you looked at this, did you have a take well, the on one the thing that, what they said? And, and I'm looking at the Q and a on CMS wire here. And, and I don't know if I, I disagree with this portion of it, but I wanted to run it by you because she's, you know, basically they're asking, you know, why, you know, what's going on with B2B marketing and content marketing. And she's saying it's not so much, uh, I'll read part of this, that something can happen with the content as much as content fails to hit the mark for engaging prospects and current customers. And then she goes into this, uh, when we see marketing teams delegate content production to smaller subsets of subsets and teams relying too much on agencies, the quality of content begins to suffer. I don't agree with that at all. I think the problem is it's a lack of strategy at all. I think you, I think that's, I, you, you, you could have a hundred right. small teams and a hundred agency partners. And of course, Coca-Cola and Kraft shows us that that can work really well depending on what it is. It's the fact if you don't have an integrated strategy to start with, that's the problem. Yeah. Well, and I think there's one other, and they, and she touches on this in the beginning of the report, um, and then it loses its way a little bit, where she talks about the idea that so many B2B uh, marketers that are trying content marketing are focusing only at the top of the very top of the funnel. Lead generation basically is the only thing they're focused on. And my experience with the brands that we work with is, is that's right on the money, right? Where, especially, this is so true in B2B, where if we're doing content marketing, it better be driving a lead into a sales, you know, right into the sales funnel. And then that's the only thing we're doing with content um, is driving leads. And it's really hard to actually, you know, once you start doing sort of, you know, it's like I'll often look at, I'll, I'll map out the buyer's journey on a whiteboard for a client. And I'll say, okay, where is all your content? And they'll start, you know, listing off stuff, top of the funnel, top of the funnel, top of the funnel and say, okay, is that it? No, no, no. We also have this content testimonials and customer videos and all that. Oh, okay. Bottom of the funnel, bottom of the funnel. It's that big messy middle, you know, in a, in what is much, a much more complex buying process uh, usually than a B2C process where B2B marketers really quite frankly either aren't or don't have permission to go right now and i think that's they're losing their way in terms of what's what creates relevance for their customers and so by not having that relevance not having what's meaningful to the customers all they're doing is basically just generating more me too stuff to try and get somebody to raise their hand enough to a sales guy can call them and no. they're calling that content marketing and that's 
not content marketing, right? That's that's at its worst kind of ineffective inbound marketing, but it's not it's not true content marketing. Well, the thing this is it's so funny how this happened because as I started in this business almost 15 years ago now, everything was on customer retention and loyalty. There was yep. no such thing as inbound. We weren't focusing on that as much. I mean, there were there were aspects of it, but the companies that I called on they were really trying to figure out, okay, we've got all these customers. How do we keep them longer? How do we get them to buy more? And it was all around customer retention loyalty. What happened with that flip? I, well, it's, it's, I mean, it, I mean, that's it's such a great point. I mean, you know, we have seen, you know, I think certainly, and this isn't blaming inbound. I mean, this is much to the credit of the inbound movement that so much of content has been driven you know, and this is especially the way it was, as you well know, in the late 2000s and even, you know, up until two years ago, where you saw inbound really the idea of just produce as much content as you can to become found by the search engines. That was the basis of our content marketing strategy was how much can we create in order to get found at be damned what happens once once we get found, you know, that they don't actually click on something or they click on something and we have a sales guy talk to them. But that's where a lot of businesses sort of stopped. They didn't really mm-hmm. explore any more deeply what content marketing could provide in the way of insight into those personas, into those customers once they get deeper into the funnel. And I think a lot of it, you know, I mean, we we came up with this, you and I were talking about this at the executive forum, you know, the whole, this, you know, the culture eats strategy for breakfast and and that idea that b2b marketing organizations are still to this day faced with this uphill battle of being looked at as sort of in service to the sales department or in service to the product engineering department and in service to you know they're just charged with creating more pdfs that feed sales guys needs and they're not being looked at as a strategic method to create content that helps them differentiate. Oh. And it's just really hard to get out of that pattern. Yeah. I mean, you and I, we've had conversations. We know, we, we, we know of a lot of companies that are amazing at, you know, if you want to call it inbound marketing or the top of the funnel stuff uh, that you go through and they are absolutely horrible at customer retention and they're churning through customers like nobody's business and if they just thought, I mean, I would love to be in one of those meetings and say, yes, I get the whole top of the funnel thing. We get the sales team. We totally, they, we know that trick, right? We know that yep. we need to, to dial that notch and where we need to put it and what we need to do. But what if we kept 5% of our customers year over year, more than what we're doing yeah. now? What would that do for the business? Well, here's the, you know what's funny too, is that I'm also seeing many cases of the reverse. So for example, a B2B marketing organization that has put together a customer blog or a customer community, right? And they've put and it's amazing and they've created this wonderful sort of loyalty program and service and all this kind of stuff with their customer uh, loyalty thing. And somebody gets the hey, you know what? We could basically turn this customer service loyalty blog community thing into a lead generator. If we just start putting some ads in here and we start putting some calls to action in here and we start making this thing public and attracting in leads to this thing, this thing can become a lead generator for us. Yep. And so they do that trying to repurpose this customer loyalty thing into a lead generation thing and they ruin both. They ruin both platforms by trying to make it do two separate functions. The, the last thing that I'll say on this is – and and I like Laura too. I mean, I don't even I don't even know if this is how it was edited or whatever. But then when she was talking about what she likes and doesn't like, she said, "Oh, I like this zombie apocalypse campaign." And whenever I see that, <laughs> yeah. I'm like, uh, I don't know if that's content marketing. I think that's creative storytelling. It is. So I, I yeah, that's where I I just get. And by the way, this is all good, right? How many people are now doing content marketing research studies and content marketing is the flavor of the month and all that? But all at the same time, I get nervous because there's so much <laughs> right. misuse of what content marketing is. And we got another article that we're talking about. Maybe it's the next one, the ad age one that we're talking about. I I didn't yeah. know if they knew what content marketing was until halfway through. I'm like, oh, I think they do, but I'm not sure <laughs> if they actually right. do. So that's the thing that scares me. And any of these, and our, our research included, because our research is going to come out, we're going to launch it at Content Marketing World. Same thing, where I'm just not sure that a lot of people really understand the power of the discipline or the approach yet. And I guess that's, that's just right. why we're doing this thing. So young, young, young little forester. Someday they'll, they'll get content marketing. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> oh, great. Now we're going to see more hate mail. I can't take any more hate mail. There's man. your tweetable moment, yeah, exactly. folks. Robert Rose says young Forrester will someday get content marketing. Hey, I'm glad um, they're covering it. You know, it, it, I am, I am glad it's good for everyone. They've got some actually really good. They've got a good PR machine behind it because they've gotten some they good do. placement for this thing. They so. do. They do. Um, Ryan over there is doing a really nice job as well. Um, all right. So next story is on, hey, here we go. Ding, ding, ding. 25 minutes into the show, native advertising. Um, again, by our friend Tom Foremsky, who we talked about last week, I think, or the week before. Yeah. And he's starting to talk a lot more about this stuff. I guess he, I guess he got the native ad bug here. Um, he's reporting on a study. And this was actually a relatively comprehensive study, I guess, 5,000 uh, consumers of online news, uh, where they were sort of measuring people's attitudes toward native advertising. And a couple of really interesting numbers jumped out here at me, which I wanted to run by you, because basically my big takeaway from this study was, yeah, if you just listen to PNR every week, you'd kind of know the answer to this already. Um, but basically they said 62% uh, of people said that it didn't, uh, helped to really enhance the reputation of news sites, but there were a bunch of people who actually said, you know what, about half actually, it was in, in some cases, said that it did provide some extra value and, and enhancement to like business and entertainment sites. So I thought that was a really interesting uh, trend that news sites, native advertising, not people aren't enjoying it so much, but business and entertainment sites, people are actually getting a lot of, or at least some, value out of it um there's another number that i'm going to touch on in a minute but i wanted to get your take first what did you think about this study in this article well the one the thing that really hit me hard with this whole thing was tom comes to the conclusion that this might be a, a no-win situation for both sides and i, I, yeah. I don't know if you, yeah, i disagree with that well i the one I mean, you've been talking about this forever where we were, were saying hey look what's the opportunity for native advertising for brands go and steal audience from these publishers <laughs> that's exactly and, it. and so here's my you know we <laughs> so here's what i think is going i, I really i really don't think that it's a bad market yeah, I, I, I don't think that it's a downside for both i think it's a, it's a downside for publishers i do i think there's a lot of upside for brands in this i think it's a and this is where i was thinking of the whole planet of the apes thing I think Uh-oh. that I, well. Here's what I here's so here's what I visualize when I'm reading this article. I'm thinking that you're going to have these brands that are just going to hammer on all these publishers. The brands or the the publishers open up these native opportunities. Brands are going to go ahead and fleece them, and they're going to bring down credibility because most of the study says that really it doesn't help credibility for most sites. It actually brings down the credibility of the publisher sites. So right. if you're bringing down the credibility as you go, you are destroying the brand of the publisher from an, an ongoing. At the same time, you've got brands that are trying to steal this audience over. And after a while, you're going to have the apes are going to rule because <laughs> of the fact that they've trounced. Oh, the apes, the apes are the marketers in this I don't uh, know who is metaphor. or not. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm with you. All right, keep going. So now, yeah, so now the marketers are running the the planet because we've smashed on the credibility <laughs> of these publishers for so long, and here's where we're at. I mean, right. does, am I making any sense at all? <laughs> you are totally – no, you actually, you're actually absolutely making – but you know what movie came to mind for me was uh, I have in my mind that uh, – I'm forgetting the actor, uh, Daniel Day-Lewis, sort of walking, crawling over to that guy going, I'm going to drink your milkshake. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, it's one of those things where... There's Daniel Day-Lewis making a call. Yeah, he's he's calling me me right now, actually. Um, (laughs) I'll get it in a minute. Exactly. this is what yeah. Uh, this but, is what you get when you're when you're doing a podcast in a different setting. It's just sometimes that's exactly the phone right. rings and you don't know where the phone is. <laughs> and I right. bet you don't even know where the phone is at. I have no idea. It's in another room somewhere. <laughs> it's under the but bed. Getting, it's under the bed. Getting, getting back on point. This is, I think, a really important one, which is it. The and the numbers actually support this, right? Where he says brands on credible media sites benefit tremendously from eighty-eight percent favorable. So this has been going on since time immemorial, right? Where the reason I advertise on the New York Times is partly because it's the New York yeah. Times. You know, my brand is getting a lift because it's getting associated. You know, having a full page ad in the New York Times is a big deal, or the Wall Street Journal, or something that has a brand that is associated with some level of trust. And so that was that's you know that's been an advertiser's 
in in the advertiser's mindset for a long time. And now, to exactly your point, and to the point that I've been making forever with native advertising, is if marketers will get smart about this, they will start stealing the audience. It is go steal their milkshake, right? Go put a piece of content on a native ad platform, use the brand for what it's worth for as long as it's worth, Pull the value you can. Go steal that audience to pull them back over into your own. The key is you better have something really great to draw them into, right? That's the key is if you go over there and do nothing, then it is a lose-lose for everybody, right? Because then you're going over there and you're basically stealing the milkshake, but you're pouring it into a bucket that you're dumping out. And so you've got to have something great for to bring, you know, in other words, you've got to have a brighter light to attract the moths. Well, it goes both ways. Wow. We're chock, we're chock full. Oh, of we metaphors. got all kinds of stuff going on here. Yeah. The, the other, th- the other thing that Tom brings up in the article is the fact that if, you know, it depends on the credibility of the advertiser as well. So if you are a publisher out there, you've got to really put in a, a hardcore process and you might actually have to choose who you want on your platform. Oh, absolutely. And that's a tough scenario because you're not – usually if you're a publisher, you're like, okay, well, as long as you abide by basic guidelines and pay my rate, you can advertise. Not so with Native because it you really have to raise the bar. And that's you've right. got to meet certain editorial guidelines that you don't have to meet with advertising. So it's it's just a tough road, this whole native Absolutely. thing. Absolutely. Oh, well, and you know, and my rant this week, which I'm not going to do, by the way, but my rant this week was going to be – I had it all teed up and everything – was there was an article about – how programmatic ad buying is going to change native advertising. It's going to get all out of, and I'm like, if it does, that's, that's the end, right? So any publisher that puts in any sort of automated native ad, uh, kind of solution it's going to be the ping fm for native yeah, advertising that, this is going to be great i can totally disrupt so many people on their <laughs> on the platforms by throwing out a, a really good blog post oh my god that's a horrible idea yeah, that's scary. Yeah, yeah. That'll probably I mean, that's happening right now. So that's that's going to be I know, available. I know somebody's I'm mean, there. There. Mark my words. There is a horror story. A, a you know, I can see the hashtag now. Hashtag native ad fail. And somebody is going to go out there and put out some horribly destructive destructive piece of content that's either going to offend somebody or it's going to be too soon on some disaster or trying to newsjack something that's just not the right and appropriate way to do that. It's going to appear on some big publisher's website as a native piece, which is going to confuse people. And there's going to be a big hubbub about it. Mark my, before the end is, before the end of the year, I predict that. that, Well, that is an, well, we'll have to come back to that. That's an excellent prediction. I also think that the other way uh, the other scenario could play as well, where you get onto a site with your really good content or what you think is really good content on a really on a site that you shouldn't be on, and even, and, That's right. and that could be That's right. terrible for the brand, where it's on some risque site that yeah. opened it up and, and found its way there. So both of those things are in play. I think yours That's is right. probably going to happen, right. though. It may happen yeah. tomorrow. <laughs> it could very well. It could very well. So all right. Uh, moving on to the next, this uh, this is a really f- a fun story. Um, that is, uh, it's a it's a basically a case study, really. Um, but we wanted to cover it briefly just because it's interesting. It comes from Ad Age, um, and it's uh, and, and one of the reasons that I wanted to talk about it a little bit is because almost every conference I go to, somebody comes up to me and asks me about content marketing for insurance, and says, you know, we're in the insurance business. We're so boring that no, we don't even know what to talk about. And I couldn't disagree more. And I, know I usually end up having a 10-minute conversation about why insurance is not boring, why you know there are so many things that you can talk about that are wonderfully engaging. But I won't go down that road. But the interesting thing here is, is that this is a story about a company called Aon, A-O-N, um, which is actually not an insurance company. They're actually even more complex. They're a reinsurance company. And I, the only reason I know about reinsurance is because I've had a couple of clients in this space. And so they do a very complex thing with insurance and the way that they market and trade it and all that kind of stuff. Um, and the interesting thing was is that this is an, uh, an interview with the CMO uh, that talks about how you know they use this sponsorship they had with Manchester United. Yay, go Man United. Um, and uh, really put together a content marketing program that speaks very specifically to a very specific audience, basically if you're an HR or a risk manager at a company, and they use sort of the metaphor of the team of Manchester United to tell this story of reinsurance. I just thought it was a really interesting 
uh, story. What did you think? Well, first of all, hat tip to David Prospery. David's a good friend of mine, and I worked with David when we did Chicago Mercantile Exchange's magazine years ago when I was at Penton Media, and David went on to run uh, public relations over at Aon. And uh, that's how we found out about the article that was covered in Ad Age. So, yeah, and David's David's always been a good supporter of of CMI and what we're doing. So hat hat tip to him. But what I loved about this, the reason, you know, they have this big sponsorship, a million, you know, whatever, eight-year, $240 million sponsorship with Man Man United. So it's a big deal. Um, But what what I love about this from a content marketing standpoint, they go on and on. You can read the article and, you know, we'll link it in the show notes where it talks about how nobody knows what we do and we have to use content marketing so people know what we do. But the one thing I loved about this, they specifically target people who love soccer. Yeah. And that's their audience when they're targeting going through that instead of just generally talking about reinsurance and all these other stuff that's not very relevant. They do it with this construct of how do I integrate? And and basically, you, you talk about this in a lot of your presentations. How do I make my advertising better with content marketing? This is a really right. good example of that. They're doing a huge sponsorship. How do they make it better? They're leveraging uh, Man United, the community, the soccer community around this, and telling stories around that that are interesting to soccer, <laughs> soccer fans because they're talking about Man United. And how that works. And that's why I loved it. Instead of just saying, oh, we're going to talk about reinsurance or we're going to the the number one thing. The reason why this will work is because they're targeting a more specific audience. I would even like them to get more specific. I don't know how specific they've gotten, but I think that's where a lot of B2B companies fall down because they try to target three or four or five different personas and they're not targeting one. This is clearly one persona that they're targeting. My favorite quote in the whole, I mean, there was all sorts of things about the return and all this kind of stuff of what they're doing. But my favorite absolute quote uh, in this whole article is, quote, content is in the middle of every marketing function, says the CMO. That's, I mean, that to me, that is our, you know, so our, you know, the thing we get off on rants about sort of content marketing being an infusion into everything you're doing rather than sort of separate and distinct from that's just says it all right there. And the other thing to your point is I, I just love that about targeting a specific audience where he says, you know, what we're trying to do is, you know, we're not we're not trying to explain what reinsurance is to children in developing nations. Rather, it's a very specific combination of people. It's customers who follow soccer. Right. So that's uh, to your point. It's just a, it's just a really great example of going into an audience, delivering value to that audience that it helps them understand your brand approach of why you're different. It's a really great actually it's a really great place to start for for companies that have are just kind of uh, uh, putting their feet into the water on content marketing is to look at where you're currently advertising or where your sponsorships are currently at and really target on those audiences first because you're already building some brand reputation, some brand awareness in that. You could start and say, okay, who is that? Who is that specific audience that we are actually targeting? And and that's where you. What was it? Three weeks ago, we talked about the media buyer being involved that's in this point. thing. There yeah, might be that's exactly there might right. be something there, and say, okay, well, let's look at the programs we're already running, and what can we do from a content perspective to make those run harder for us? So, yeah. great point. Great point. All right, moving on to our last story, which is kind of a combination of two different stories here. Um, They're both on social and both on content and both on commerce, which I think is just a really interesting combination. Um, There was one article that comes from a site called TheMediaBriefing.com, which is called The Rise of Social Shopping. And it basically is an article that talks about, you know, without going into great detail, really how the idea that buying from social channels is really starting to to rise and get a you know facebook has launched their i test at least of their buy now button twitter is uh with e-commerce ads there are pinterest is starting with some e-commerce things and there's this real rise of how commerce is becoming a big piece of what uh people are trying to do through social and combined with this is this article that comes from our good friend at uh convincing convert jay bear um hello jay And he's talking about this idea that it may be time to completely change our social media strategy. And he goes through this idea where he says, look, the idea of reach across 
uh, social strategies is really becoming hard. We've talked about this at length with Facebook. Um, he says, but really it's across every social platform where he talks about a shotgun versus a rifle approach where you should really start thinking about lots of high velocity content like a shotgun to your social strategies rather than sort of the rifle big shot approach. Um, I thought these were really interesting and taken together. What was your take? Well, the, I probably wouldn't take them together as much as you do because, of course, I come from that publisher standpoint. And the first thing that I thought of, because it goes through the micropayments idea of content. So the media briefing, the first article, the media briefing article goes through the idea of why uh, this is really bad. This might not be good for publishers because uh, they're trying to buy directly on Facebook and Twitter and you're trying to sell advertising and all this stuff. And this is my my take on this one. And I've been talking about this for for a long, long time. If you are a publisher today and you are not focused on selling things other than advertising, you are in big, big trouble. This is, I mean, you should be looking at selling the stuff that you want to sell on Facebook and Twitter and whatnot. So if you can't deliver some kind of a content solution, you know, a solution that's not, you're not just paying for the content or maybe the better thing is actually focus on things that people actually want to buy. So the article goes into the whole micropayments thing and maybe maybe there'll be a great day when we can sell our content on a, you know, iTunesy type way. And I'm like, "Oh my god, right. that's never going to happen because people aren't used to doing that. They'll never do it. We've already crossed that bridge. It's not going to happen. What do they pay for? They pay for books, they pay for training, they they go to events, and then they pay for other stuff to help them get stuff done. So you, I think you have to, from that's, that's how I was looking at it, Robert, where I'm just like, please don't stop with the micropayments of content thing because I don't think it's going to happen. There's only a few <laughs> big brands that can carry. I think Wall Street Journal, New York Times, those types of p- people can, can carry that. But what we found with those, those aren't high, high growth areas for them. Like, for example, with New York Times, once they got all those people to subscribe, they're not getting more people. They're getting who right. they got. Right. Um, well, t- t- so here's so here's my take, and I totally hear you. I, I think that's right on the money. I, to me, this feels much more like a. The, this is where, if if you know, to your excellent point that you usually make about the idea of advertising on social, and how social networks are really kind of screwed when it comes to that because of the inventory and lack thereof when it comes to a mobile interface. This is the way that I think. You know, I think. In the same way that, you know, and I don't know if you saw that there was a 60 Minutes uh, piece not too long ago that talked about how, you know, Apple uh, and Google, maybe it wasn't Google, but it was Apple at least for sure, had to give some refunds uh, for uh, people whose kids basically are clicking the buy now button in the middle of games, right? Yep. Because it's now becoming a big deal where you can actually, you're in the middle of a game. Oh, by the way, if you want a lever that'll actually beat this level, you can pay, you know, 99 cents and get it. So you click buy now and it's done. This I think is in a similar way, what they're trying to do here with the buy now and facilitate transactions, take a piece of it. of course, the sort of impulse buy transactions that could be made through the mobile interface on through Facebook. So if you're on Facebook now and I want to buy a movie ticket or if I want to buy my meal or if I, you know, I can just go and boo and hit buy now and I'm done. So that may be the sort of vision here. The, the interesting thing to me and how I thought it tied into what Jay was talking about is Jay, Jay actually goes through this, his idea that you know, the idea of, uh, you know, he, he starts out the article by talking about sort of, you know, the, the potential reach and real reach of, of content through social networks. And everybody talks about potential reach, you know, how many likes do I have or how many followers do I have versus what's my real reach of how many actually am I reaching on an individual post. And his conclusion, which uh, basically is you should really start thinking about, you know, good content for sure, but much more higher velocity content and sort of taking a shotgun approach to it as opposed to a rifle approach, I actually commented on his post and I said, I think that's a really interesting shift that you're going to have to take. And I would agree. The additional thing is I think you're also as a brand going to have to start posting out content that has a much lower consequence for failure because you're just not going to reach everybody that you want to reach. And so my ultimate conclusion is that it's very likely could be places like Facebook and Twitter become sort of the new version of the Sunday circular, right? Where, where businesses that are just looking to put out coupons and, uh, basically low transactional types of 
quick advertising messages could use the social platforms to do that, to get that sort of highly transactional, less engaging type of transaction from their, from whoever they can reach on any given day and use those social platforms for that and not for the big investment and higher consequence types of calls to action that they're going to try and create, mm-hmm. you know, some sort of engaged subscriber with. So I think it's a really interesting. Well, I, it's a great, actually, it's well worth reading. And there's a 90 yeah. some uh, slide deck that he's got that's worth going yeah, that's through. Right. And I, I did that's go right. through that. And the one stat that really got my attention, and Jay says, from February 2013 to February 2014, Facebook stock rose 154% during that time, and original reach on Facebook uh, plummeted, which means that Facebook is throwing up less organic content and is profiting from it. Wow. Isn't that, I mean, that should hit every business owner very, I mean, and say, oh my gosh, like you're. But I think I, yeah, I think I got to, th- you know, what? having deep, and I have direct connections to a, a large number of sort of those Wall Street, they don't know yet. They, they, the, this inside baseball stuff that we talk about, they're just now starting to hear about this. Like the idea that reach is going down to 16% or 2% or whatever it is, is just now starting to really propagate through the investor community there. So I'd like to see what happens over the next quarter or two to Facebook's stock price. Um, I have not seen Facebook's earnings uh, announcement yet, um, but I know that it's out. So it'll be interesting to see what happens over the next couple of quarters here. Well, I mean, I think this, it's worth looking at the strategy where basically what Jay is saying is that we are going to throw up more pieces of content on the on the different channels that make sense to us, to your point, And then it sort of diversifies our risk a little right. bit more instead of hoping for these one or two uh, really big content promotions that were going to be on the site that probably most people aren't going to see anyways. That's right. And he actually, there's a really good portion of his presentation that he goes through and says, look, I did this, but nobody saw this and nobody saw this and nobody saw this, even though I'm a, I've got 124,000 followers on Twitter, but no, I'm not getting that reach with it. So he talks about that kind of approach and really looking at a new sort of channel strategy. And I, I mean, we've always approved of that. It's like, really look at, you have a different tone, a different feel, a different velocity for your content in every channel. But I think that what I would just say to people out there is focus on the channels that make the most sense right now. Maybe you just say, I'm going to focus on two channels or three channels from a social standpoint. Or better yet, maybe you just make sure your content is really, is shareable, easily shareable on all those channels that people like to engage in where you don't necessarily have to be in those channels all the time. You can just make sure that those people that follow you share want to share that content that's great and you get that promotion off those other channels you're, you're not necessarily there creating content specifically for that channel yeah so. great point excellent point well speaking of channels it is time for us to pay the bills for our there channel. we go absolutely <laughs> and once again we want to thank this old marketing's sponsor we love emma myemma.com email marketing for the modern brand of course, featuring mobile responsive templates, and how can you not be for? I mean, you can't be. It can't be against mobile responsiveness. And by the way, as as we all know, a lot of emails aren't out there aren't mobily responsive. So if you don't have mobile responsive templates that you're using for email, you better get them. Emma has them. Social integration tools, all the social media we were just talking about, they can help you with that. And of course, we mentioned on every episode those ever famous concierge services that they'll help you out with anything you need. Emma's promoting uh, their latest webinar, the Eight Second Challenge: Email Marketing for the Shrinking Attention Span. Make sure you download it. Robert and I have both looked at it. It's really good, really valuable. Check it out. It's fantastic stuff. Uh, go to bitly.com/pnr-emma8. The number eight. PNR dash Emma eight, and you can download it. You can go to the show notes and download it as well. But special thanks, Emma has been our longest running sponsor. Oh, we love so them, fantastic, and check them out. Love if you them, if you're looking for a real solid email provider, make sure you check out myemma.com. Fantastic. All right. Well, now it is time for the show that you all love: our rants and rave section, where Joe and I go off on a little bit of a rant. Or a little bit of a rave over something that's really bugging us or something that we just want to show a little love to. Um, and I'm going first since I'm handling this old marketing okay. this week. Um, and I, you know, the funny thing is I had neither a rant nor a rave this week. And so I'm going to be completely 
selfish, and I'm going to give a bit of a rave um, to a blog post that I uh, uh, that I read this week that I think everybody should get a lot of value out of. Um, and you know, it's completely also self-serving because it happens to be on the Content Marketing Institute's website. Um, it's a blog post by uh, Stephanie Bedell. Am I pronouncing her name right? I don't know Stephanie, but um, uh, or Bedell or it's B E A D E L L. So Stephanie, my apologies. So Stephanie, let you, us know if we're saying your yeah, name right. Yeah, well, I'm sure I'm not, but but so just you know, just forgive me for not saying it right. But anyway, she wrote a blog post called Thought Leadership Strategy, a three-step framework for influencer outreach. And I just thought this was a really outstanding blog post. Um, It really goes through uh, a a step-by-step, even with sort of frameworks and templates on how to actually put together an influencer outreach program that I just thought was very concise, very well put together, and just really made a ton of sense. Um, I certainly learned a lot from it. It was something that I'd like to incorporate in my thinking, and I just thought it was a fantastic uh, example uh, of really valuable content um, being put out uh, uh, on a topic that I don't know, quite frankly, a lot about. So it was just it's just a wonderful piece, and I highly recommend it. Oh, great. We've got some great contributors at uh, we do the CMI indeed. Network, we do so indeed. fantastic. You know, mine will be really quick, and I've got a rant, and so I was uh, actually golfing this weekend with uh, our wonderful creative director, Joseph Kalinowski. Hi, Joseph. Hope a regular listener of this program. JK! You got in the house. Um, the, the, I, was, I was at a golf course, and I'm like, oh, I haven't used Foursquare in a while. I'm going to go check in. Well, I go to check in to Foursquare, which I used to be really active, Robert. Like, I was checking in everywhere. I know. I remember. And, and, I, get to, <laughs> and I get to the golf course, and it says, I'm sorry, you can't check in. If you want to check in, you've got to go download Swarm, our new app, and that's where all the check-ins take place. And then I started reading this article uh, about, I'm like, what, what the heck happened? I mean, I knew it happened, but I, I didn't engage in it yet. And so now I'm like, okay, what? I wanted to find out what happened. So... Foursquare, I guess, is the place where they're they're going to become sort of the Yelp and the discoverability tool. Foursquare is going to be, and then Swarm is going to be the place where you check in, because they felt right. that those two things were so different. And I think they're making a monumental uh, mistake. Have you seen my business model lately? <laughs> <laughs> so of course, I didn't download Swarm, and I don't yeah. have any. Uh, any need to do that now because I want what I well what what I used it for and and I think that this is good for what I don't know how many people use Foursquare now or used it before but I used it because I liked them I I got good recommendations from a lot of my friends when I checked into certain places they would say here's some things that are near here that you'd want to get um here's here's places to check out or other people that checked in at to that location they maybe had a tip I used all that kind of stuff especially at airports Really, really big at airports. Right, right. Now that's all gone. So uh, my rant is on Foursquare. I think they're screwing up whatever business model they had. And I actually, I I don't know if this is going to work. I've read some really, really, because as I was checking it out, Robert, really negative articles on the whole thing. So I'm not sure what's going to happen with that. But I I would be a little bit oh, nervous really? if I'm Foursquare. Yeah. I don't know if you've seen the articles, but everyone was like, what did they do? And yeah. then I, I checked out some of the comments on Swarm, and everybody's like, ah, it's hokey, it doesn't make sense, can't get into it. I don't know. It's too bad. I, I, I used to love that. I didn't, know, I didn't even know Foursquare was... I didn't even know Foursquare was still a thing, so <laughs> that shows well, you. Not how, anymore. Yeah. Now it's called Swarm, yeah. and I'm not downloading it, so... All right. That's it. Well, there we have it. All right, so now on to the last part of our show, which is, of course, the namesake of our show, This Old Marketing. Um, And this week, uh, a really interesting um, example. And this this one may be, I mean, this just goes way, way back. Um, Really interesting example of old, old marketing and old content marketing at that. So first of all, a huge hat tip uh, to Geraint Hopfman, who pointed us here to this LinkedIn post by a guy by the name of Scott Ottman. God, what is it with the last names? And Scott, um, by the and, way, Scott has written for Content Marketing Institute before. Oh, he has. So Scott, yeah, Scott's okay, great. good dude. Yeah, Fantastic. absolutely. All right. Well, Scott has basically – so Scott's in Paris, right, walking down the street, and he sees this bookstore. And the bookstore is called Galanani, uh, G-A-L-I-G-N-A-N-I, Galanani. Uh, and it's basically uh, named after this Italian guy, Giovanni Antonio Galanani. Uh, Very nice. Who, oh, thank you. Yeah. And so it was, the, I'm married to an Italian. 
Um, so it's basically the bookstore was was noted as being the first English bookstore established on the continent. And now remember, he's in Paris, right? And so basically, he went in and did all this research and found out who uh, who Giovanni uh, uh, Galanani was. And what he found out was that it was this guy who basically left Italy uh, and wanted to target the uh, English speaking audience. So he goes to London uh, and then basically leaves London and lands in Paris. And he starts to say, hey, I want to create a bookstore for English speaking people in Paris. So in the 1800s, he opens this bookstore, but then he starts thinking about interesting ways to market what at that time I've got to imagine was a very novel thing, an English speaking bookstore in Paris, which, you know, if you've been to Paris, you know, that's all probably a novel thing now, much less in the 1800s. And so here he is, and he, so he opened a reading room that basically specialized in the English language. So if you wanted to learn English, you could go in and go to this reading room. But then the interesting thing here, and here's where we get into the really interesting content marketing stuff, he starts in, he starts a newspaper. And the newspaper was an English language newspaper, and he starts inviting all of these influencer authors, uh, basically all these people like Byron and Wordsworth. I mean, t- I mean, you talk about influencers. I mean, these are amazing influencers, literary uh, geniuses to actually publish articles in his English newspaper, which, of course, encouraged people to learn more about how to read English, which, of course, promoted his reading room, which, of course, then promoted his English bookstore. So it was this wonderful sort of multi-channel, this is the 1800s multi-channel content marketing at its finest, where he's creating an event that is being marketed by a newspaper, which is itself marketing the bookstore that he's he's doing. Just a wonderful event. This is all in the 1800s. That this is happening, and so this is just a wonderful example of how content drove this guy's business, you know, in the 1800s, and particularly poetic. I think, if you forgive the pun, that it was all about um, content itself. He's marketing content itself. So, in a weird way, he was sort of creating a blog about a physical event. He's not that different from CMI in a, in a, in a really interesting and kind of poetic way. Well, I, so, I love it. And, and, the, and that's a great example. And the two kind of takeaways that Scott talks about, I love because, and I want, I guess we, that's what we want more of our uh, subscribers to think about is, is that if you have a problem, if you have a sales challenge of some kind of marketing problem, Maybe you could say, well, how can we create our own channel for this versus advertising? And that's what Scott talks about. They created their own channel for this. And then to grow exposure for that in distribution, they said, well, let's get some of these influencers involved in it. It, I mean, you could, you could say that this is happening right now. This is, this is not, so this is a couple hundred years old. Unbelievable. And you could literally say that a company could take actually even the printed model. You could take this exact same model and use it. Exact same strategy. It made sense for you. That's a great story. That's fantastic. All right. Well, where, what are you still home? What are you doing? I'm I'm still home. We're obviously six weeks out gearing up for the the big show, content marketing world. You got it. And, uh, and then we're, uh, we're going out this weekend. Um, we have back to uh, Mr. Kalinowski. He's got a very special birthday coming up, so we're we're doing some celebrate early oh, celebrating this weekend. That's fantastic! Uh, so uh, we can't give out. We can't tell anybody where we're going to be or anything. That's okay, kind of right, but well, he but listens. it's yeah, he he's going to be listening. So. I'm I'm sure that he's he's very excited already. And and uh, so awesome. we're gonna we have about uh, ten of our friends are all going together and. We're going to hang out and, and celebrate uh, Mr. Kalinowski's birthday and, and looking forward to, to spending some time with uh, with the good folks around here in West Park, west side of Cleveland. That is how about, how about you? Now, you're in Philadelphia right now, correct? I'm in Philadelphia going to talk to the lovely folks at uh, Drager Medical Supplies tomorrow and do a wonderful content marketing workshop for those lovely folks who are having their annual Big Marketer Summit where they're expecting, I don't know, about, about 100 people to come in for this marketing summit. And I'm doing nice. That. A wonderful all-day content marketing workshop for those uh, lovely folks. Then I go home, uh, and I'm still heads down in the book um, and just working on that. This weekend coming up, I'm very excited. Speaking of football, I'm this is totally geeky, I know. I'm going to head out to the Dallas Cowboys training camp, which they train in Oxnard, nice. which is just an hour north of L.A. So the fact that uh, the, center, the center of gravity of football is calling me up to Oxnard for a day, and I'm going to go up and watch a scrimmage game. And just totally cowboy geek out for for the day. So oh, good, good for you. That. That's uh, that. Yeah, yeah. it sounds like Robert Rose heaven right there. <laughs> It'll be lovely. <laughs> <for sure. laughs> Fantastic. 
Yes, thank you. Um, that is it for Joe Polizzi. This is Robert Rose signing off. And tweet us up, won't you? Just like Durant did and give us a tip on something this old marketing or let us know what you think of the show or just say hi. Um, hashtag this old marketing. Um, and if you want to send a plain old email, you can do that too. This old marketing at contentinstitute.com. Also, if you like this episode, number 37, we hope you'll consider subscribing on iTunes or Stitcher.com. All those links, as well as all of the show notes and links and stuff we talked about on this episode, are available at the blog post at thisoldmarketing.com. Remember, everybody, it is your story to tell. Tell it well. We'll see you next week on This Old Marketing.